celebrity facts, candid conversations, and some levity to lighten your day. This is The Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. Hey, welcome to Friday. Got that Friday feeling so good to be with you on The Kale Clark Show. It's also the first day of December. It's a brand new month. And we're going to kick it off in style, and you can call in right now. Let me give out the phone number, 888-914-9149, 888-914-9149. You can also email the program, questions, comments, show ideas, become a shadow producer. Send me a link, story you think I might want to cover. The email address is kale, C-A-L-E, at relevantradio.com. Find me also on the X app, at Kale Clark, C-A-L-E. Clark with an E. And speaking of the X app, of course, it is owned by none other than Elon Musk. He's been in the news for a lot of reasons this week. Uh, having said that, yesterday was the Cybertruck release party. I don't know if you've seen, if you haven't seen the Cybertruck, you've got to check it out. You've got to, this is, it's something out of Blade Runner. It is now going to be produced and in the hands of people very, very soon who've made pre orders. A lot of people aren't happy with the pricing, but I don't know what you think about the Cybertruck. It's pretty cool. It's pretty futuristic. It's bulletproof if you need it. But that is nothing. That is absolutely nothing compared to the heavenly hot wheels that God himself is driving. And we we actually read about this in today's first reading. And I I just love this. This is from Daniel chapter 7. I got to share this with you because this actually contains a, a big clue into Jesus's the Jesus's favorite self-appellation, the thing he called himself more than anything else. And where does this come from? It's called the Son of Man. Jesus calls himself the Son of Man. And a lot of people mistakenly think that this refers to Jesus's human nature. You know, Son of God refers to his divine nature. Son of Man ref- refers to his human nature. Not the case at all. And in the first reading there, it talks about these beasts, these four fearsome beasts that come up out of the sea. And again, it really interesting in the Hebrew mindset. I talked about this today on the Faith Explained show that when you, when you think about Jesus' baptism, Pope Benedict said that when Jesus descended into the water, that was really the beginning of his passion. That was really the beginning of his descent into death because out of the sea comes evil, death, fearsome beasts like we see in the book of Revelation, like we see in Daniel's visions, and in Daniel chapter 7, he talks about these four immense beasts that rise out of the sea. And we could talk about the beasts later. They're, they're pretty fearsome creatures. They actually, I can tell you what the beasts actually mean if you want to know. 888 But I just want to fast forward to uh, something that uh, is said later on in the first reading from Daniel 7. It says, thrones, Daniel says in his, in his vision, as I watched, Thrones were set up, and the Ancient One, in some translations it's the Ancient of Days, took his throne. His clothing was snow bright, and his hair on his head was as white as wool. His throne was flames of fire with wheels of burning fire. Talk about Hot Wheels. Man, this is unbelievable. A surging stream of fire flowed out from where he sat. Thousands upon thousands were ministering to him, and myriads upon myriads attended him. The court was convened, and the books were opened. I watched then from the first of the arrogant... Okay, I'm going to skip over a little bit here. And and he goes on to say this. As the visions during the night continued, I saw one like a son of man 
coming on the clouds of heaven, when he reached the ancient one and was presented before him, he received dominion, glory, and kingship. Nations and peoples of every language serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that shall not be taken away, and his kingship is one that shall not be destroyed. That's very interesting. So, the reason why why this is an important thing to bring up is that the Son of Man is none other than Jesus. And in fact, in, in Mark's Gospel, in Mark chapter 2, you know that time when Jesus healed the paralyzed guy who was lowered through the roof? It, it's really interesting because when um, when he sees this guy, his friends kind of dig this hole in the roof, and it's kind of a thatch roof, and it would have caused a lot of damage. It might have actually been Peter's house in Capernaum, and Peter would have been saying, oh man, these guys are digging through the roof. They couldn't get to Jesus because of the great crowds outdoors, and so they, they take matters into their own hands, they go up the fire escape, and they just kind of dig through the roof, and Peter says, I've got to go and make a trip to Home Depot now. Thanks, guys. But uh, when they when they lower down this paralyzed guy in his pallet, it says, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, child, your sins are forgiven. And some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like this? It is blasphemy. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they question like this within themselves, said to them, why do you question like this in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or... To say, rise, take up your pallet, and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, take up your pallet, and go home. And he rose and immediately took up the pallet and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. So this is an amazing account from... Mark's Gospel, chapter 2, the healing of the paralytic. And in verse 10, Jesus says, so that you might might know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. And so he's using this well-known technique that, that all kinds of rabbis used to use. He argues from the easier to the harder. Now, you might say it's easier to say to somebody, your sins are forgiven. I can't prove that. I can't demonstrate that. I can't show you any, that, tangibly that your sins are forgiven. You're just going to have to trust me on this. And so they have their doubts. The scribes have their doubts. How, how can you do this? And Jesus says, well, which is, you know, which is easier <laughs> to say your sins are forgiven or rise and walk? And uh, he's answering a question with a question, as the rabbis used to do. Rabbi Shlomo, his students once asked him, hey, why do you always answer a question? Whenever I have a question, Rabbi, you always answer with another question. And he said, does this bother you? So th- this is a big deal. And uh, I, I love how he calls himself the son of man here. It's his favorite designation for himself. Jesus always calls himself the son of man in the Gospels. And the scribes would have known exactly what he was talking about when he said, so that you might know the Son of Man has authority on earth. They know he's talking about Daniel chapter 7, this vision uh, that was in the reading today, the first reading. And uh, this is uh, pretty, pretty wild. And what's interesting, too, is that we'll fast forward a little bit to uh, the end. I just want to Go, let's do this right now. Let's actually go 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 do this right now. Let's go to. Um, just want to flip ahead here to the. Let's see here. Ah, uh, yes, yes, yes. This is really good. So when Jesus is on trial later on in Mark's gospel, 
when he's on trial before Caiaphas, the high priest, in Mark chapter 14. This this sheds even more light on this. I, I just love, 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 love this. And here it is. He's, he's, in, he's, a, he's on trial before the council. It's kind of a kangaroo court that is convened against Jesus. It's very much like, if you, if you know, by the way, speaking of the book of Daniel, there's the story of Susanna in the book of Daniel. That also sheds a lot of light because it talks about the corrupt religious leadership that could sometimes be a factor in Jerusalem. There's this pure, innocent woman uh, named Susanna, and it, it's kind of a sordid tale. The, these dirty old men, I guess you could say, they, they conspire to try to get with Susanna. That's about all I want to say about that. But you probably know the biblical story. They wind up framing her, um, accusing her of adultery. Never happened. The prophet Daniel saves the day, and these guys get killed. Um, so justice is served. So that, that's that's a famous backdrop to the kind of, uh, if you will, corruption that was going on with the council. And uh, here's um, here's where it starts. So this is in Mark chapter 14, verse 53. They led Jesus to the high priest, and all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes were assembled, and Peter had followed him at a distance right into the courtyard of the high priest. And he was sitting with the guards and warming himself at the fire. Now the chief priests and the whole council sought testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but they found none for many bore false witness against him and their witness did not agree. Now this is exactly what happened uh, with Daniel because Daniel proves that these elders are lying about Susanna. He splits them up and they both tell a different story. Their testimony doesn't agree. And then they're killed for bearing false witness. So some stood up, uh, this back to Mark here, and bore false witness against him, against Jesus, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands, and in three days I will build another not made with hands. Yet not even so did their testimony agree. And the high priest stood up in their midst and asked Jesus, Have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But he was silent and made no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And pious Jews would never actually say the name of God. They would always use what's called a circumlocution. It, it's, a, it's a way of saying it without saying the name of God, which is holy and sacred. So that's why he says, are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed One? It's, he's basically saying, are you the Son of God? And Jesus said, I am. And in Greek, that's actually, you know, it's actually the name of God, Yahweh. Was he actually saying that or was he just saying yes? It's hard to say, but Jesus said, I am and you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power. Okay, so again, Jesus even does it himself. Instead of saying the name of God, Yahweh, he says the power. That was another name for God. I've got the power. Remember that song? And Jesus said, I am and you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the power and coming with the clouds of heaven. Now, again, the high priest knows exactly what he's referring to. He's referring to today's first reading from the book of Daniel, Daniel 7, 13. And the high priest tears his clothes. He's not upset uh, about what he uh, picked out of the closet in the morning. Uh, I don't really like this sweater. No, he, this, is, this is what happens when, when someone commits blasphemy. He tears his robes. And he says, why do we still need witnesses? You have heard his blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all condemn him as deserving death. Okay, so that, that is a very, very key passage. They know exactly what's going on here. They know exactly what Jesus is claiming to be, who he's claiming to be. 
So it's, it's interesting because this whole idea about him him building a temple not built by human hands, it's par- partially true, right? Because there was, of course, the temple that was standing at the time in Jerusalem, the temple that was called the Second Temple, which is essentially finished by Herod the Great. It was really one of the wonders of the ancient world. That was destroyed in the year 70 A.D., just as Jesus prophesied, within one generation it would happen. He is crucified around 30 A.D. The temple goes down in 70 A.D., 40 years, one generation. He was right. Um, and, and there's always been this thought that there's going to be this third temple, this third temple that must be built. Well, the third temple is already built. It's the church. It's the mystical body of Christ. It's the temple built with living stones. And that's you and me. First uh, Peter chapter 2. And so... Jesus says, I am, and the Son of Man will be seated at the right hand of power. So, this is, this is exactly a reference to today's first reading. That the, the, how, how can you be seated at the right hand of power? Well, you're seated on God's chariot throne. This throne with fiery wheels. It can move with the clouds. You can keep your Cybertruck. This is the true off-road vehicle. It can even go into the sky. And Jesus is... It's actually, he's kind of actually throwing, it's really interesting what he's doing. Jesus is actually throwing a couple of verses here together, um, which is Psalm 110, verse 1. Psalm 110, verse 1 is an interesting messianic psalm. And I'm just going to pick it up here in in the psalms, because this is a, a psalm that Jesus refers to again and again and again. In Psalm 110, verse 1, it says this, The Lord says to my Lord... And this is David speaking, right? David wrote the psalm. The Lord, that's God, says to my Lord, David's Lord, the Messiah, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. So this is, this is why it's interesting that Jesus says here, you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the power, coming with the clouds of heaven. We know coming with the clouds of heaven, this is the, the chariot throne of God from Daniel, but he's sitting at the right hand. In other words, he is sitting right next to God the Father. He might even be holding the steering wheel himself. And this is pretty wild. In Revelation 3.20, it talks about Jesus sitting on his Father's throne. Um, this, is, this is what it's all about. And they, they, know all, they know exactly what Jesus is saying here. So th- this is a big deal. And, and this proves that, that Jesus, this is why, why he calls himself the Son of Man. It has nothing to do, absolutely zero to do, with his human nature, okay? Um, and, and this is this is a very, very Jewish thing to say. It's a very Semitic thing to say. It doesn't mean much outside of the Jewish world. Um, the Gentiles, when the church was spreading among the Gentiles in Rome and, and elsewhere, son of God was a bigger deal because the Roman emperor was thought to be a living son of God, the Caesars. There's all these inscriptions that have been found about the Roman emperor as being the son of God, God from God, light from light, you know, what? This is what's applied to Jesus. Jesus is the real son of God. And that's why the centurion at the end of Mark's gospel who, you know, sees Jesus die in the way he gives up his spirit, and he says, truly, this man was the son of God. It's not Caesar. It's this guy. It's not the most powerful person in the world. It's the person who seems the most powerless who's being crucified here. And Roman citizens are never crucified. It's so bad. We only do it to non-citizens, people that are just horrific criminals. This guy is actually the most powerful person in the universe. So it's pretty wild. Um, I think it's a, a, a big deal. And uh, hopefully that helps you to understand a little bit about uh, what was in the first reading 
today. But there's lots of lots of other cool stuff as well. You're listening to the Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio, triple eight nine one four nine one four nine. Hey, guess what? We are at the end of the year. Not quite the end of the calendar year, but we're getting close. First day of December today. But this Sunday is a new liturgical year. So you could really say that New Year's Eve is is this Saturday. And this Sunday is the first Sunday of Advent. So what are your spiritual New Year's resolutions? I I really want to know this. And we've really got to try to, this is a good time to reflect and, and figure out how we could get better, both naturally and supernaturally, because we know that of course, grace builds on nature. So I'm going to talk about that a little bit, how you can get better in this upcoming year right after the break. 888-914-9149. It's Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. This is The Kale Clark Show, giving you the confidence you need to bring the faith into everyday life. Hey, welcome back. So glad to have you on this Friday. If you're in the car at home already, relaxing, enjoying the weekend. If you're at work, wherever you may be, glad to be spending the time with you. It's The Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. You know, it's been so much fun this week on the show. We've had we've had a lot of great times together, and if you've missed any episodes, of course, Go to the free Relevant Radio app, the free number one Catholic app in the world, and you can listen to all the shows that you missed in podcast form, whether it's this program, The Faith Explained, and any of the other shows that we have here on Relevant Radio. Of special note, you're going to want to sign up for the Merry Beggars rendition of A Christmas Carol. Once again, you are not going to want to miss out on Advent with Scrooge. Who wouldn't want to spend Advent with Scrooge? And just go to adventwithscrooge.com. That's the website to find out more. The kids of all ages love the Merry Beggars. Their Saint series, Michaela, has been totally into it. I can never wait for new episodes to drop, and then she just kind of binge listens to them. And I'm okay with my kid binge using media when it comes to the Merry Beggars and Relevant Radio, of course, because it's for a good cause, and it's good, clean, holy family media. But, as I said, we had a great week on the show, and I want to give you just a little bit of a snippet of what that was like Here is the week that was on The Kale Clark Show. Check it out. Sister Teresa Alethea Noble is here. You and I have a very common friend in Father Harrison Eyre. He says that sometimes it's always forensic and managerial approaches to problems to try to save face. Yeah, Benedict XVI, when he was Cardinal Ratzinger, in a talk that he gave to Communion and Liberation, he talked about what true reform in the church looks like. And... The example he gave was from St. Bonaventure. You know how a sculptor will take away to reveal the sculpture. Mm -hmm. And he said that's what reform in the church does. It takes away what is not truly of the church. So if we think of reform in terms of the abuse crisis, merely in terms of adding programs, then we're not thinking of of it. Even though those programs are absolutely necessary, that is the bare minimum. What we truly need to do is to really evaluate what were the mentalities, what were the attitudes, what were the cultural practices that led to something like this happening. A recent report from the Canadian Human Rights Commission. Christmas is a discriminatory holiday. 
No one is free until we are all free. Here, here's the great irony of this. You can't be truly free without Jesus Christ because he is the truth. As it says in John 14, 6 in the New Testament, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. So if you want true freedom, you can't have that without Christ. You, you absolutely cannot. And so, no, do we do we impose that that belief on others? No, we don't. We respect people's free will, their freedom, but we do propose that to people. We're not forcing anybody to celebrate Christmas, but we do propose the truth of Catholic Christianity. A writer has decided that hell doesn't make sense to her. She says, in the Christian religion, hell is made out to be a form of physical suffering and a place where a soul goes to burn for all eternity. However, it should be noted that because the soul is not a physical entity, it has no nerves, she says. What a nerve of her to write this, I can't believe it. Hell is a physical place. Resurrected bodies are gonna go there too. So there is a physical element, but even if there weren't, even if it were purely spiritual suffering, spiritual suffering is worse than even the physical suffering. So in every town that they went into, Billy Graham and his evangelistic association, they would do something called Operation Andrew. So here's how it goes. And it's kind of a, a multi-step plan, but it's really quick. So the first thing you need to do in Operation Andrew is this. You need to look around. That's step one, look around. Wherever you're at, this is your mission field. Look up. You gotta look around first of all, and then you gotta look up. Look up in prayer because God changes people through prayer. And then number three, look out look out so we gotta look out for ways to cultivate your friendships with every person on your prayer list spend some time with them take them to a ball game take them to dinner take them to lunch figure out ways you get in conversations with them to talk about christ all right that is just a little snippet of some of the fun stuff that you may have missed this week on the kale clark show that was the week that was my thanks to producer jim shaper and miranda Sinaceros. With the assist on that, putting that together, really appreciate you guys. And that just helps you to see uh, some of the fun that we've had. We've had a lot of interesting shows. So again, go to the Relevant Radio app and you can share all of these episodes with a friend. You can maybe binge listen to them on the weekend. Another thing we should probably be doing this weekend is getting ready for the new year. Yep, it's a new liturgical year. The first Sunday of Advent is coming up. And I want to hear about your spiritual New Year's resolutions. You can call in and tell me what they might be, 888-914-9149. But we know in the Catholic Church that grace builds on nature. And there's a newsletter that I get every week. I've talked about it before. It's called Systems Sunday by Ben Meir. And he recently had a piece that came out on sharpening the axe sharpening the axe. And I think this is what we need to do in our lives. We need to kind of sharpen the axe from time to time. We've got to try to get some areas of our life under control so that we can get better. And he kind of gives a quote from Abraham Lincoln, who I think is the greatest U.S. president of all time. Abraham Lincoln said this, give me six hours to chop down a tree and I will spend the first four of those six hours sharpening the axe. That's a great way to look at life. You know, give me six hours to chop down a tree. I'm going to spend the first four sharpening the axe because th this is, this is what we have to do. Um, if we can sharpen ourselves, we can really cut through life with, with a lot more ease and, and, and make our mark and 
We do this for God, of course. And so a lot of people in life, as Ben Muir says, they kind of go through life with a dull blade. They're just kind of hacking away tirelessly. If you've ever felt like you're hacking away in life, you probably know that feeling. Uh, that's a recipe for discouragement and burnout. And working hard is really, really important. We have to work hard. We, we're, we're commanded to do so. You know, St. Paul says in the New Testament, hey, whoever doesn't work, they don't get to eat. That's my rule in all the churches. So how about that? But if you're just hacking away, working with a dull blade, it's going to be a lot more difficult. So if you want to be more productive for God, if you want to be um, just better in life, I think this, this is really important, how we have to sharpen the axe. So, so he suggests, Ben Muir suggests, five areas in life when we can really sharpen the axe. So number one, we've got to sharpen our relationships. Because it's true, you, be, you become the five people that you spend the most time with. So choose wisely. And one of the things that you can do is find somebody within those, those five close relationships who's kind of maybe more than one person, but find intellectual sparring partners. Why? Because axe sharpens axe. And as Proverbs puts it, Proverbs 27, verse 17, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. I think this is really important because uh, we need people that will sharpen us and make us better, make us a better instrument in the service of God. Uh, another thing that, that Mir suggests on this front is to resist false kindness in our relationships. We can, we can sort of have this um, thing that happens sometimes in our friendships in which we don't want to give uh, criticism. And uh, we don't want to be critical, we want to be loving, we want to be supportive, but we, we really do need some people in our lives that will give us honest feedback. Th this can happen a lot, um, especially in workplaces. And if you're in management, you know this, that sometimes uh, people just want to tell you what you want to hear, and they will not tell you the truth necessarily. And uh, we, we really should welcome people who have the courage to tell us the truth and give us honest feedback. That, that's a really, really important thing so that we can get better. And um, yeah, so that, that's, we don't need to surround ourselves with yes men, that's for sure, and yes women. We need, we need people who, uh, who, who can be radically honest with us. Also, he says, avoid, avoid like the plague, energy vampires. We all know people who are kind of energy vampires in our life, and God bless them. But, the, but there's, some, there's sometimes that there are people that, that just kind of drain us. And there's other people that we spend time with. They kind of give us energy. They kind of uh, help us to, to get more excited about stuff. And you, you kind of know that feeling, right? There, there's probably some people in your li life that kind of drag you down. And, um, and, and sometimes they really need help. Sometimes they really need help. And God wants us to help people as much as we possibly can. But some, some people are energy vampires. They, they want to steal your energy. They want to steal your life force. And they want to just kind of drain you of any energy that you have for anything else. And so be careful with, with those folks. All right, so that's step number one. Sharpen your relationships as you're sharpening the axe and, and trying to make yourself a better instrument in this coming year. Number two, sharpen your finances. Sharpen your finances. And this is really where um, I think we need Preston Alex, who, of course, is the, uh, the VP and CFO of Relevant Radio, Chief Financial Officer, and... Uh, Here's a few simple things that you can do uh, to just get better with the resources that God has blessed us with, whether we have a lot or a little. Um, we all have to give account for them, right? So 
one thing you can do is cancel subscriptions that you have that you're not using anymore. It's so easy to sign up for stuff, especially, um, you know, all, with the sort of parcelization. Everything's parceled out now in terms of media, and there's all these subscriptions from everything from Netflix to whatever. And uh, sometimes we just don't use these things, and we're, we're paying all this money, and it's not a good use of our resources. We could be donating to a charity like Relevant Radio, for example, or something like that. Uh, automate your savings. Automate your bill payments. It'll it'll kind of just put your put you on autopilot a little bit, and you can take your mind off of it. Pay off debts with something called the avalanche method. I don't know if you've heard about the avalanche method, but again, Preston Alex, I'm sure would love to talk about this. He loves to talk about budgets, and uh, it, it's important. Um, ben Muir also talks about the fifty thirty twenty rule. I've never heard this before, but the 50-30-20 rule of budgeting. That's where you have 50% of your budget is spent on your needs, 30% on your wants, and 20% on your savings. Wow, that's interesting. I don't know if everybody could do a 20% savings rate, but we need to obviously put in some money for charity too, right? We've got a budget for tithing. We've got a budget for uh, gifts. And uh, whether it needs to be an actual 10%, that's, 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 that's another show for another day because people disagree about that. But uh, certainly giving to the Lord's work is absolutely crucial, crucial. And uh, third thing, third thing we have to do, I want, I want you guys to react to these too. If you have other ideas, um, if you want to comment on this, give me a call, 888-914-9149. The third thing that you have to sharpen when you're sharpening the axe of your life, you've got to sharpen your health. You've got to sharpen your health because if you're not healthy, if you're not in a good place, then you will not be there. For your loved ones later down the road. You can't be as effective in God's service as you have to be. And as the older I get, the more I realize that you can't take your health for granted, your diet, your, your exercise, taking care of yourself. And your brain health is a big part of that as well. People don't, don't think about the health of their brains, but you can really um, make your brain, your gray matter, a lot more happy and healthy by taking long walks. Walking, it's been, it's been scientifically proven that walking does help your brain. And it helps you to think more clearly. Uh, Steve Jobs, I mentioned this to you before, uh, famous uh, ex-CEO of Apple, um, came back to Apple, brought them to prominence, and uh, he, he's passed away, unfortunately. But um, he was well-known for taking most of his major meetings. He would just take walking meetings with his executive. Let's go for a walk. Let's talk. Because science shows that you're actually thinking a lot more clearly when you, when you walk. So if you uh, are working remotely, you might want to take some, some business calls while you're walking. Why not kill two birds with one stone? Sleep for at least seven hours a night. At least seven hours a night. Um, remember Dr. Brian Donahue, who came on the show a little while ago. So, so important. He gave such good advice. One of the things he said was, you've got to sleep for at least seven hours a night. If you sleep for more than that, yeah, you could do eight. A lot of people do eight. More than eight, though, it gets a little sloppy. You know, it's, it, it, you start to have some negative effects from oversleeping. But a lot, most of us don't get enough sleep. We, we stay up too late. Um, and, and that real heroic minute is not necessarily getting up when the alarm goes off. <laughs> Sometimes the harder thing to do is go to bed on time and uh, force yourself, just tear yourself away from the book that you're reading or the show that you're watching or just a little more scrolling. No, don't do it. We all do it, but you've got to really uh, get a hold of that. So that, that's, that's important as well. Hydrate as well. Uh, some people say that you should drink one fluid ounce per pound of body weight. I know Tom Brady talks about that. His TB12 method. That sometimes that can be a lot of water sometimes, but uh, depending on your weight, I guess. But um, it is important to hydrate. 
Our bodies are well over 90% water, as they say. And then another thing you can do to, to help your brain health is rebalance your dopamine with less screen time. We know we get those hits of dopamine whenever we scroll on, on Twitter or something like that. But um, you, you do you, you have to sort of put away the screens a little bit and get back in the real world, as it were, sometimes uh, to rebalance your dopamine. It's not good for you, especially late at night, uh, the blue screen thing, all that stuff. So that, that's, that's another thing you can do. Number three is sharpen your health, especially your brain health. Number four, a couple more things real quick. We'll get your phone calls, 888-914-9149. Sharpen your time. Sharpen your time because time is a treasure and we can't afford to waste it. So how do we how do we do this? How do we make it count? Well, Ben Muir says, why don't you just focus on Pareto's principle? And you probably heard about this. 20% of the activities that you are engaged in really lead to 80% of your results. You know how they say it at, at any church, in any organization, there's 20% of the people that do 80% of the work, 20% of the people do 80% of the financial giving. It's always the way. And in your, in your work, there are 20% of activities that will really drive the needle forward for you. And you've got to identify what those are because we can spend a lot of time on, on the non-essentials and things that, that are maybe important but not urgent, but these really, really big important things. Or sorry, we spend time a lot on the urgent but not important, and, but these really important things that will drive the needle forward. We, could, we tend to put them off because we can. Let's say you're writing a book. I've got to write this book. Um, well, that that's that, it doesn't really have a deadline, so you tend to sort of put that to the back burner, and, and you need to answer your email or something. Well, that's important too, but but the big things sometimes never get done. And here's another thing you can do to sharpen your time, and and he he kind of stole this one from the writer Derek Sivers, gives credit to him. Um, and I'm going to sanitize this a little bit. When when people ask you to do things, would you like to do this? You want to do that? You want to do this? Especially during the holidays, you're going to get a lot of invites to things. If it's not a heck yeah, then it's a no. Then it's a no. You should say no. If you don't want to say heck yes, I'd really like to do this. Absolutely. I'd love to do that. Then say no. It can't sort of be a whatever, you know, type of thing because your time is valuable. And, and uh, St. Jose Maria said that in the way. It's one of the earliest points in the way. I think it's point number five. Get used to saying no. Get used to saying no. Why, why is that? Because we, we think as followers of Christ, we should be saying yes to it. We need to love God, love people, love all, serve all. It's like the motto for the Hard Rock Cafe. We don't want to say no to anybody. But here's the thing. If we don't say no a, a lot that we're never going to be able to say yes to other things that really matter. Because every, every time you say no, you say yes to something else. And every time you say yes, you say no to something else. So we've got to be really, really... And again, back to Steve Jobs with Apple. He was like that. Um, and Johnny Ive, his famous designer who designed all the hardware, the iPhone, the iMac, all that stuff. Uh, Johnny Ive said Steve Jobs told... The biggest lesson he ever learned from Steve Jobs is that you have to say no to a thousand things to say yes to one thing. Because there's things that we'd really, really, really like to do, but we can't do, can't do them all. We have to do the most important things. And so we've got to put God, our family, the important things uh, first. And sometimes we have to cut out a lot of things. So that's just one thing to keep in mind. And then the last thing, number five, is sharpen your skills. As we're sharpening the axe, we've got to sharpen our skills. And uh, earlier this week, we talked about the, the death of... Uh, uh, Warren Buffett's number two guy, Charlie Munger. We need to pray for the repose of his soul. He had some ideas that he ought not to have held, but he also was was pretty smart about a lot of things too, obviously. And um, and one of the things that he said 
was that if you don't, if you're not into lifelong learning, you're not going to be very successful in life because after you graduate from college, university, whatever it is, whatever your profession is, you've got to stay on top of things, not only in your, in your, in your field, but just in life. And so we've got to add more skills. Um, reading is so important, um, especially in the spiritual life to add our, our skills, become uh, better equipped to serve God, better saints in the making, spiritual reading, 10 minutes a day. That's a good thing to do. Um, but even in your in your field, to try to read, keep up in your industry, uh, li- you can listen to podcasts, especially all of our relevant radio programs are put out as podcasts after the fact, just a few minutes after each program. You can listen to them when you're on the subway, when you're commuting, that kind of thing. And um, if you really want to know whether you've learned something or mastered something, try to teach it to a kid. This is the whole explain it to me like I'm five thing, you know. Uh, uh, e L I five explain like I'm five, uh, which is a meme. That's uh, an acronym that's going around these days. It's become quite popular and you need, cause to be able to explain something to a child, you have to understand it really, really well to be able to break it, break it down in its essence and, and get the, the main thing done. So, so this is a, this is a, a good little piece by Ben Muir on uh, how to sharpen the ax and stay curious, keep looking after yourself. It's important. Um, get feedback, get reflection, spiritual direction is really important on this front for, for us as Catholics as well. And yeah, so I want to hear what you guys think about this. Let's go to Joe in San Francisco. Hello, Joe. Good afternoon, sir. Good to hear from you. How are you doing? Um, I'm doing phenomenal. So 15 years ago, I stopped newspaper, TV, and talk radio news, I stopped it all. I don't have all that negativity and baggage, all that stuff weighing mm-hmm. me down. And then mm-hmm. for the past few years, I got rid of all this toxicity with people. I stopped it all because I realize I am a domino. And if I fall, I have a business, my family, my 98-year-old mother that I take care of, I take mm-hmm. care to all of her appointments, I have to stay together. Yeah, that that is but so I, true. Is if you get rid of news, get rid of the news in your life. People, you know, there's drug addiction and all the rest of all these addictions. There's news addiction as well. Yeah, and mm-hmm. you you get all this stuff fed. I talk to people. I said, what what was on the top of the news last night? The eleven o'clock news. They can't answer. I said, you just wasted a half hour of your <laughs> life. Yeah. Oh, Joe, you're, you're, it's so true, and 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 so you've you've seen your mood obviously improve. Would you say that like like did you have immediate effects, Joe, when you when you cut out this news to change your perspective? You you changed you changed my life about a month or two ago because I was on the phone with you with that that uh, sister, the nun, the other mm-hmm. day because you told me about the segments about uh, the four hour segments about four hours just get yourself in this work zone. And then you got four hours of doing this and four hours of doing that. And I yeah. implemented that the next day, and that changed my life. And what you did, you changed my life, not only work-wise, but my work is involving my personal life as well. So I wanted to thank you because you've been an instrument in the success of me personally. Well, Joe, Joe, I appreciate that. I'm very humbled and honored that you would say that, and I'm so glad that anything I said on the program was, was helpful to you in your life. And, and I think what, what you're saying is great advice for all of us. Sometimes we can get very, very hooked on the news cycle and the negativity. And most news, let's face it, is not good news. It's not the good news of the gospel. And that's what we bring to the table here at Relevant Radio. We want to bring good news to the world. And there's, there's enough negativity out there outside. So we want to bring positivity. And that's what we try to do every day. 
on Relevant Radio and on the Kale Clark Show. And so, Joe, I thank you for that call. God bless you. Uh, keep on keeping on. And I think uh, you, you've hit on something that a lot of us would do well to imitate and to emulate. Hey, we'll be right back after this break. 888-914-9149. Call back now. I've got an interesting segment coming up right after this. This is The Kale Clark Show, giving you the confidence you need to bring the faith into everyday life. Hey, welcome back to the program. Last segment of the week. Let's make it a good one. 888 Hey, earlier in the week, I, 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 we, we, started, we were talking a little bit about Charlie Munger and his death and whether or not he was into being a Stoic, whether he was into Stoic philosophy. And I asked the question, I wonder if it's potentially compatible to be a Stoic and to be a Catholic. So the answer is yes. And, and, and actually, there's, there's a lot of points of connection here. And Stoicism is really popular in the culture right now as a philosophy. You might have heard of Ryan Holiday. He has a very popular podcast called The Daily Stoic. Uh, he's written books such as The Obstacle is the Way, Ego is the Enemy. You might have heard of this guy. And so it's out there. It's kind of out in the ether. And I found an interesting uh, piece, a little uh, essay that was written by David Schloss. And David Schloss is a convert from Judaism to Catholicism. And uh, he has a blog called, um, what's it called here? It's called Summa Catholic. Summa Catholic. And it's kind of on the Pathios blog network. And uh, David Schloss uh, had had a piece about Stoicism and Catholicism. Are they compatible? And he said that Pope Benedict once once remarked that Catholicism is actually a religion of philosophy. And, and when he said that, he was really kind of saying how different Catholicism was when you compare it to pagan practices. And it's true that philosophy really did help to influence the faith. And we, we talked about how uh, the Jewish theological tradition, supernatural revelation, kind of mixed with philosophy from the Greeks and made this pretty awesome and tasty medieval synthesis of Catholic thought. Um, it's kind of like Reese's peanut butter cups. You know, you got your chocolate in my peanut butter, you got my pe- your peanut butter in my chocolate, but it's delicious. It's awesome. Fides et ratio, faith and reason. Uh, they go together just like Reese's peanut butter cups. And uh, that's the, the title, of course, of an encyclical by Benedict's predecessor, St. John Paul. And uh, Stoicism has actually influenced Catholicism uh, quite a bit. And uh, David Schloss talks about this uh, in, in his piece. Um, Alexander the Great, and, and it's funny, we were talking about the book of Daniel earlier. One of the beasts that comes out of the, uh, the, um, the sea is the, is the beast that represents the kingdom of Alexander and his conquest of the world. And, and that kind of led to the Hellenistic period, about 300 years before the birth of Christ. And Stoicism kind of came out of this. It came out of uh, ancient Greek um, Hellenism. And the Stoics actually divided philosophy into three different categories, logic, physics, and ethics. But the most important thing, uh, the most important element there was ethics. And the Stoics, uh, they actually thought that happiness, you could become happy. Everyone wants to be happy, right? But they thought that you could achieve happiness by acquiring virtue by being uh, someone who has an excellent character. And, and in this, we would very much agree when it comes to the Catholic faith. The virtues are really, really important, virtue ethics. Now, Stoicism kind of you know drew on Socratic thought, Socrates, um, but it's very, very practical, Stoicism. And, and 
the Greeks had this term called the eudaimonic life, eudaimonia. And eudaimonia means happiness or fulfillment. It's actually kind of a hard word to pin down. It's one of those words that, that's very full of different kinds of meanings. And it's kind of the good life, if you will. And for the Stoics, they said, well, you can get this. You can get this eudaimonia. You can get this happiness, this fulfillment by practicing the four cardinal virtues, justice, courage, temperance, and wisdom. And we, 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 tend, to, we tend to want to... Um, um, to do this because they, they, here's, here's the deal. So the Stoics basically taught that temperance, you need temperance to pursue your goals. You can't just be given into your whatever, you know, and, and people kind of give into their, their habits. They, 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 you need to be a temperate person to, to, to organize your time. Well, I remember sharpening the acts of time. Like we talked about before to achieve your goals, got to plan it out, got to deny yourself sometimes Courage is also important to pursue your goals because there's going to be some pushback. Justice is important because you need to be concerned for other people. And justice is really all about giving the other what that other person is due, especially God. You got to start with God. You got to give God what he is due. And he, we owe him our whole existence, everything. We've got to give him all we've got. Um, the least we could do, you know, is, is Sunday obligation, but that's the bare minimum, right? So we've got to go way, way, way beyond that. Um, wisdom, wisdom lets us deal with our daily lives in a, in a, in the best way possible. And we need wisdom. We need the wisdom greater than that of Solomon. And thankfully we have the mind of Christ as St. Uh, uh, Paul says in first Corinthians. And so, you know, the Stoics kind of get a bad rap because the Stoics are often thought as being as very emotionless people, but they're not about that. Like, it's not about just like facing up to life and just whether, you know, you got to keep a stiff upper lip and, and just kind of suffer through it. Actually, Stoicism is really about cultivating a joy. And Seneca, who um, he made some terrible errors. Seneca committed suicide in the end, which is not cool, obviously. Um, uh, only God has the keys of life and death, and he shouldn't try to wrest the keys out of his hand. Anyways, Seneca said this, The Stoic should be attended by a constant cheerfulness and a joy that is deep in issues from deep within since he finds delight in his own resources and desires no joys greater than his inner joys, end of quote. And the same thing is, um, is probably true for us as well, because we, we can't desire any joy greater than the joy of our faith. And that, that should be the inner life. And we have a program, of course, on Relevant Radio called The Inner Life. That, that should be what we drive our joy from, not what's going on outside. Happiness comes from what's happening, but joy comes from within. And that, that can't be taken away from us, as Jesus says. You know, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the, the world. And no one's going to steal your joy from you. The resurrection has defeated uh, all evil. So this is, um, this is really important. And um, the cardinal virtues are, are something that's huge for Catholics as well. And in fact, um, temperance, prudence, and fortitude, justice, those are called the hinge virtues, the cardinal virtues, because the word... Uh, cardus means hinge, like a door turns on a hinge. And so we, if we're going to open up the door to life with God, we, and we open up the door to being a virtuous person, we need those hinge virtues because everything else kind of builds on top of that. And so, um, yeah, uh, I think this is important. And then the other thing that Stoicism has in terms of point of conflict, conflict, point of contact rather with Catholicism is cosmology. This is interesting, too, because what's cosmology? Cosmology is the study of the universe and its origins. And 
Stoics said, hey, the universe is intelligible. It, it, it's, you can figure it out. You can, you can search for knowledge, and you can find out things about our universe. And, and Pope Benedict talked about that a lot, too, that the universe is intelligible. Inquiring minds want to know. And we can actually find answers to our questions about the world and the universe. And the very fact that the universe is intelligible shows that there is an uncreated mind behind it all, the, the mind of God. And so that this is really, really important. So that's that's a big, big point of contact, cosmology with Stoicism and Catholic teaching. And so it's interesting because um, the Greeks had this concept of the logos, uh, this um, intelligence that, that kind of uh, undergirds the universe and, and all things. And in John's Gospel, it says this logos, you know, became flesh. You know, it kind of borrows this concept the word became flesh and dwelt among us in the person of Jesus Christ. Wow. So uh, I just really think um, this is absolutely crucial. So um, I like it. I like it. There, there's a, a few points of conf, uh, contact. I want to say conflict. There's no conflict between uh, Stoicism and Catholicism. Of course, Catholicism goes beyond that. Faith goes beyond reason. That is for sure. All right, let's go quickly to Johanna. Johanna in Happy Valley, California. Hello, Johanna. Hi, sweetheart. Enjoying your message. Oh, thank you. Uh, I hope I can, I hope I can express myself. I'm 86, and my husband and I had eight children. And when we were oh, married, wow. I told them I wanted to be a farmer, so we came north in California, and we have a farm here, and uh, it, was, it wasn't easy, but I told mm. him, I says, I want to stay home and raise the kids, mm. and we have to learn to live on what you make, mm. and that's what we did, yeah. and God has blessed us, so he's mm. passed now, but he oh. set me up where I have a, a, a comfortable income. I'm not poor. I'm not rich. Joanna, that, that, that is, that, I want to talk to you again. So we're going to get your number. We're going to call back. But that's, that's a great thing to share. Thank you so much about that, for sharing that. It's Kale Clark. Thanks for being with me on the program today. Take it away, Michaela. Thank you for listening to my daddy.